Chapter Forty Four of Delorme by G. P. R. James. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Forty Four. Scarcely had I entered my apartments at the Hotel de Soissons ere I received a visit from Signor Vanoni, who informed me that the Countess was somewhat offended at my having gone forth without rendering her my first visit of ceremony she invites you however added the old man to be present to-night in the observatory of catherine de medici's which you have doubtless remarked from your window while i endeavour to satisfy her as far as my poor abilities go in regard to the future fate of her son which she imagines may be learned from the stars and do you not hold the same opinion demanded i seeing that vanoni had some hesitation in admitting his own belief in astrological science i suppose there are at least as many who give full credit to the pretensions of astrologers as there are who doubt their powers my own opinion replied the old man signifies little i certainly must have thought there was some truth in a science before i made it a profound study which i have done in regard to astrology however if you will do me the honour of following me i will show you the interior of the magnificent column which catherine de medicis constructed for the purpose of consulting those stars which are now he added with a smile growing as much out of fashion as her own farthingale i followed him accordingly and crossing the gardens at the end of one of the alleys came upon that immense stone tower in the form of a column which may be seen to the present day standing behind the hotel des fermes it was night but beautifully clear and starlight and looking up i could see the tall dark head of that immense pillar rising like a black giant high above all the buildings around and i felt that much of the credence which astrologers themselves placed in their own dreams might well be ascribed to the influence of the solemn and majestic scenes in which their studies were carried on i understood completely how a man of an ardent imagination placed on an eminence like that far above a dull and drowsy world below with nothing around him but silence and no contemplation but the bright and beautiful stars might dream grand dreams and fancy that in the golden lettered books before his eyes he could read the secret tale of fate and discover the immutable decrees of destiny i did more i felt that were i long there myself i should become a dreamer too and give rein to imagination as foolishly as any one we now entered the tower by a strong door at which were stationed two small negro pages each of whom dressed in the oriental costume bore a silver lamp burning with some sort of spirit which gave a blue unearthly sort of light to whatever they approached notwithstanding my own tendency towards imaginativeness perhaps i might say towards superstition i could not help smiling to see with what pains people who wish to give way to their fancy add every accessory which may tend to deceive themselves anything strange unusual or mysterious is of great assistance to the imagination and the sight of the two small negroes with their large rolling eyes and singular dress together with the purple gleam of the lamps in the gloomy interior of the tower 
were all well calculated to impress the mind with those vague sort of sensations which themselves partaking of the wild and extraordinary form a good preparation to ideas and feelings not quite tangible to the calm research of reason benoni saw me smile and as we went up the stairs of the tower he said that mummery is none of mine the good countess is resolved not to let her imagination halt for want of aid but the belief which i give to the science of astrology is founded upon a different principle the historical certainty that many of the most extraordinary predictions derived from the stars have been verified contrary to all existing probabilities a certainty as clearly demonstrable as any other fact of history and much more so than many things to which men give implicit credence in the search of truth we must take care to get rid of that worst of prejudices because the vainest that of believing nothing but what is within the mere scope of our own knowledge now it is as much a matter of history as that julius caesar once lived in rome that in this very tower an astrologer predicted to catherine de medicis the exact number of years which each of her descendants should reign it has been one cause of the disrepute into which the science of astrology has fallen he added that its professors mingled a degree of charlatanism with their predictions which they intended to give them authority but which has ultimately discredited the art itself thus the astrologer i speak of not contented with predicting what he knew would happen and leaving the rest to fate must needs show to the queen the images of her sons in what he pretended to be a magic glass and by this sort of juggle diminished his own credit though the procès verbal of what catherine saw taken down at the time is now in the hands of the countess de soissons may i ask the particulars said i growing somewhat interested in the subject and also whether this procès verbal is undoubtedly authentic beyond all question replied the old man leading the way into a circular hall at the very top of the tower it has descended from hand to hand direct so that no doubt of its being genuine can possibly exist what the queen saw was as follows being placed opposite a mirror in this very chamber after various fantastic ceremonies unworthy of man of real science the astrologer called upon the genius of francis the second to appear and make as many turns round the chamber as he should reign years instantly catherine beheld a figure exactly resembling her son appear in the glass before her and with a slow and mournful step take one turn round the chamber and begin another but before it was much more than half completed he disappeared suddenly and another figure succeeded in which she instantly recognised her second son afterwards charles the ninth he encircled the hall fourteen times with a quick and irregular pace after him came henry the third who nearly completed fifteen circles when suddenly another figure supposed to be that of the duke of guise came suddenly before him and both disappearing together left the hall void seemingly intimating to the queen that there her posterity should end there stands the mirror he added but its powers are gone i approached the large ancient mirror with its carved ebony frame to which he pointed and looked into it for a moment 
my mind glancing back to the days of catherine de medicis and her gay and vicious court and binding the present to the past with that fine vague line of associations whose thrilling vibrations form as it were the music of memory when suddenly as if the old magician still exercised his power upon his own mirror the stately form of a lady dressed in long robes of black velvet rose up before me in the glass and with a start which showed how much my imagination was already excited i turned round and beheld the countess de soissons without waiting for the reprimand which i doubted not she intended to bestow upon me i apologised for having been rude enough to go anywhere without first having paid my respects to herself alleging business of an important nature as my excuse and pray what important business can have such a great man as yourself have in our poor capital demanded the countess with a look of haughty scorn that had well nigh put to flight my whole provision of politeness i believe madam replied i after a moment's pause that monsieur le comte your son informed you by a note which i delivered that i had come to paris on affairs which he thought fit to entrust to me and a pretty personage he chose interrupted the countess but i come not here to hear your excuses youth has signor vanoni told you the important purpose for which i commanded you to meet me here i replied that he had not done so fully and she proceeded to inform me that the learned italian having been furnished by her with all the astrological particulars of my birth which she had obtained from my mother many years before and also having received those of the birth of her own son the count de soissons he had chosen that evening for the purpose of consulting the stars concerning our future fate it is needless to go through all the proceedings of the astrologer his prediction being the only interesting part of the ceremony this he delivered without any affectation or mummery as the mere effect of calculations and his very plainness had something in it much more convincing than any assumption of mystery for it left me convinced of his own sincere belief in what he stated i forget the precise terms of his prophecy in regard to the count de soissons suffice it that it was such as left room for an easy construction to be put upon it shadowing out what was really the after-fate of a prince to whom it related in regard to myself he informed me that dangers and difficulties awaited me more fearful and more painful than any i had hitherto encountered but that with fortitude i should surmount them all and he added that if i still lived after one month from that day my future fate looked clear and smiling all who sought my life he said father should die by my hand or fail in their attempt and that in marriage i should meet both wealth and rank and beauty absurd as i knew the whole system to be yet i own man's weaknesses form perhaps the most instructive part of his history and therefore it is i say it absurd as i knew the whole system to be yet i could not help pondering over this latter part of his prediction and endeavoured to reconcile it in my own mind to the probabilities of the future my helen had beauty i knew too well wealth i had heard attributed to her and rank the prince had promised to obtain o oh, man man thou art a strange weak being 
and thy boasted reason is but a glorious vanity which serves thee little till thy passions have left thee and then conducts thee to a grave hope in my breast but a drowning swimmer clung to a straw to worse a bubble i followed the countess de soissons from the tower thoughtful and dreamy and i believe the old man vanoni was somewhat pleased to witness the effect that his words had wrought upon me though he could little see the strange and mingled web that fancy and reason were weaving in my breast the golden threads of the one though looking as light as a gossamer proving fully strong enough to cross the woof of the other and outshine it in the light of hope at the foot of the staircase we found the countess's women waiting and having suffered me to conduct her to the door of the hotel de soissons she gave me my dismissal with the same air of insufferable haughtiness and retired into the house as my apartments lay in one of the wings i was again crossing the garden to reach them when suddenly a figure glided past me which for a moment rooted me to the ground it was in vain i accused myself of superstition of madness of folly the belief still remained fixed upon my mind that i had seen jean baptiste arnault whom i had shot with my own hand the moon had just risen the space before me was clear and if ever my eyes served me in the world it was the figure of him i had killed that passed before me without loss of time i made my way to my own apartments and pale haggard and agitated i cast myself in a seat while little achilles in no small surprise gazed on me with open eyes and asked a thousand times what he could do for me it was he muttered i without taking any notice of the little man it was certainly jean baptiste arnault if ever i beheld him my brother exclaimed achilles i thought he was at lourdes with that most respectable gentleman his father my mother's husband that was and my parent that ought to have been i certainly thought he was at lourdes he is in the grave and by my hand replied i scarcely understanding what he had said but gradually as i grew calm my mind took in his meaning and i exclaimed your brother was jean baptiste arnault your brother that he certainly was by my mother's side replied the little player and as good a soul he was when a boy as ever existed an explanation of course ensued and on calling to mind the little man's history i found that no great wit would have been necessary to have understood his connection with arnault before a more painful narrative followed on my part for achilles pressed me upon the words i had let fall i could not tell him the circumstances of his brother's death that would have been too dreadful for my state of mind at the moment but i assured him that it had been accidental and i told him the regret the horror the grief which it had occasioned me ever since poor jean baptiste cried the little player with more feeling than i thought he possessed he was as good a creature as ever lived and now when i hear that he is dead all his tricks of boyhood and all the happy hours when we played together come up upon my mind and i feel what perhaps i never felt rightly before what a sad thing it is to be an outcast denied and forgotten and alone without one tie of kindred between me and the wide world 
and the tears came up into his eyes as he spoke do not let me vex you monsieur continued he i am sure you would harm no one on purpose and you have been to me far better than kind and kindred for you alone on all the earth have borne with me and shown me unfailing kindness but yet i cannot help regretting poor jean baptiste it was a bitter and a painful theme and we both dropped it as soon as it was possible ideas however were reawakened in my mind that defied sleep and though i persuaded myself that the figure i had seen was but the effect of an imagination overexcited by what had passed during the day and the thoughts that had lately occupied me yet as i lay in my bed all the horrid memories over which time had begun to exercise some softening power came up as sharp and fresh as if the blood was still flowing that my hand had shed i rose late and while achilles was aiding me to dress i saw that there was something on his mind that he wished to say at length it broke forth i would not for the world speak to you monsieur on a subject that is so painful said the little player with a delicacy of which i had hardly judged him capable but this morning something extraordinary has happened and i think it best to tell you as i was standing but now at the gate of the hotel de soissons who should pass by but arnaud the old procureur he stopped suddenly and looked at me and as i thought he knew me though in all probability i was mistaken i spoke to him and we had a long conversation me he seemed to care very little about but he asked me a world of questions about you and he seemed to know all that you were doing a great deal better than i did myself i assured him however that the death of poor jean baptiste was entirely accidental as you told me and i related to him all that you had suffered on that account and how often even now it would make you as grave and as melancholy as if it were just done i wanted him very much to tell me where he lived but he would not and took himself off directly i asked the question it gave me some pain to hear that achilles had now positively informed arnaud that my hand had slain his son helen could never be mine i felt it but too bitterly as the dreams which the astrologer's predictions had suggested died away in my bosom and yet i shrank from the idea of her knowing that he whom she had loved was the murderer of her brother i could not however blame achilles for what he had done the name of helen had never been mentioned between us and when i thought that she was his sister the sister of my own servant though it changed no feeling in my breast towards her though it left her individually lovely and excellent and graceful as ever in my eyes yet it gave new strength to the vow i had made to obey my mother's last injunctions by adding to the objections which she would have had to that alliance the conviction that we were fated never to be united took firm possession of my mind destiny seemed willing to spare me even the pain of faint hopes by piling up obstacle on obstacle between us but i resolved that if i might never call her i loved my own i would give the place which she had filled in my heart to no other i would live solitary and unbound by those ties which she alone could have rendered delightful i would pass through life without the touch of kindred or of wedded love and go down to the grave the last of my race and name 
such were my resolutions and variable and light as my character was in some degree i believe that i should have kept them i notwithstanding the quick and ardent blood of youth and my own proneness to passion and excitement in the course of the morning i visited m de retz and according to the commands of m le comte we mutually communicated the steps we had taken though i believe de retz informed me of the success which had attended his negotiations more to force me into a return of confidence than for any other reason from the letter which m de cramal slipped into my hand yesterday said he as well as from what he told me viva voce i can now safely say the bastille is our own indeed it is wonderful with what facility this party of prisoners dispose of their place of confinement but the count tells me here that he has won the officers of the garrison and the officers have won the soldiers that in short all hearts are for monsieur le comte and that it only wants a first success to make all hands for him too oh my dear delorme he burst forth what a wonderful thing is that same word success but once attach it to a man's name and you shall have all the world kneel to serve him and lord him to the skies let him but fail and the whole pack will be upon him like a herd of hungry wolves give me the man that while success is doubtful stands my friend who views my action and my worth by their own intrinsic merit and pins not his faith upon that great impostor success whose favour or whose frown depends not on ourselves but circumstance as soon as it was dusk i went alone to my little lodging in the rue des prets saint paul and after waiting for about half an hour received the visit of my two most respectable followers combalet and jacques moqueur as they entered i saw by a certain smirking air of satisfaction on their countenances that they had been successful in their negotiation which they soon informed me was the case we have permission from his most accumulated majesty of the huns said jacques moqueur to introduce monsieur le comte de long into his famous palace called chateau escroc and to naturalize him a hun upon the reasonable condition of his submitting to be blindfolded as he is conducted through the various passes of the country of the huns in regard to being blindfolded replied i i have not the least objection as it is but natural you should take means to prevent your secret resorts from being betrayed but i must first understand clearly what you mean by my being naturalized a hun before i submit to any such proceeding tis a most august and solemn proceeding replied combalet de carignan and many of the first nobility have submitted to it without blushing his infirmity his infirmity cried jacques moqueur i pray your lordship would not forget his infirmity not a noble in these or former times ever thought of submitting to the ceremony but yourself but after all it is but a ceremony which binds you to nothing if that be the case replied i i will go but be so good as to remark that i have nothing upon my person but the ten gold pieces which i have promised your worthy monarch and i beg that you will give notice thereof to the worthy corporation i am going to meet lest the devil of cupidity should tempt them to play me foul for that we are your lordship's surety said combalet i should like to see the man who would wag a finger against you while we stood by your side 
your lordship does us injustice said jacques moncoeur in a less swaggering tone there is honour even to a proverb amongst the gentlemen you are going to meet but if you are at all afraid one of us will stay till your return at the hotel de soissons where our friend the archer informed us you really lodged i am not in the least afraid replied i but i spoke knowing that human nature is fallible and that the idea of gold might raise up an evil spirit amongst some of your companions which even you might find it difficult to lay however lead on i will follow you i question much whether the council has yet met replied combalet but we shall be some time in going and therefore we may as well depart we accordingly proceeded into the street where i went on first followed scarcely a step behind by my two bravos in the manner of a gentleman going on some visit accompanied by his lackeys at every corner of each street either combalet or his companion whispered to me the turning i was to take and thus we proceeded for near half an hour till i became involved in lanes and buildings with which i was totally unacquainted notwithstanding my manifold melancholy rambling through paris when i was there alone and tormented with gloomy thoughts that drove me forth continually for mere occupation the houses seemed to grow taller and closer together and in many of the lanes through which we passed i could have touched each side of the street by merely stretching out my hands darkness too reigned supreme so that it was with difficulty that i saw my way forward and certainly should often not have known that there was any turning near had it not been for the whisper of my companions to the right or to the left the way was long too and tortuous winding in and out with a thousand labyrinthine turnings as if it had been built on purpose to conceal every kind of vice and crime and wretchedness amongst its obscure involutions every now and then from the houses as i passed burst forth the sound of human voices sometimes in low murmurs sometimes in loud and boisterous merriment and sometimes even in screams and cries of enmity or pain that made my blood run cold still however i pursued my purpose i could but lose my life and life to me had not that value which it possesses with the happy and the prosperous i would have sold it dear nevertheless and was well prepared to do so for i was armed with dagger sword and pistol so that setting the object to be gained by murdering me which could but be my clothes with the risk and bloodshed of the attempt i judged myself very secure though i found clearly that i was plunging deeper and deeper every moment among those sinks of vice iniquity and horror with which some part of every great city is sure to be contaminated suddenly as i was proceeding along one of these narrow streets a hand was laid firmly but not rudely on my breast and a voice asked where go you jacques moncoeur stepped forward instantly and whispering a word to my interrogator i was suffered to proceed in a few minutes after we arrived at a passage where my bravos informed me that it would be necessary to bandage my eyes which was soon done and being conducted forward i perceived that we went into a house the entrance of which was so narrow that it was with difficulty combalet could turn sufficiently to lead me onward by the hand i took care as we went to count the number of paces and to mark well the turnings 
so that i believe i could have retraced my steps had it been necessary after turning four times we once more emerged into the open air as if we crossed an inner court and i could hear a buzz of many voices seemingly from some window above we now again entered a house and having turned twice the bravos halted and i heard an old woman's voice cry in a ragged broken tone they are waiting for you you two lazy jessamine flinchers and what new devil have you brought with you a pretty piece of flesh i declare why he has a leg and an arm like the man of bronze while these observations were being made upon my person my two worthy retainers were detaching the bandage from my eyes and as soon as i could see i found myself standing in a large vestibule at the foot of a staircase an iron lamp hung from the ceiling and by its light i beheld a hideous old woman in that horrid state where mental imbecility seemed treading on the heels of every sort of vice her high aquiline nose her large bleared dull eyes swimming between drunkenness and folly her wide mouth the lips of which had long since fallen in over her toothless gums all offered now a picture of the most degrading ugliness while with a kind of gloating gaze she examined me from head to foot crying from time to time a pretty piece of flesh ay a pretty piece of flesh nice devil's food will you give me a kiss young beelzebub and throwing her arms suddenly round me she gave me a hug that froze the very blood in my veins i threw her from me with disgust and in her state of semi-drunkenness she tottered back and fell upon the pavement giving a great scream on which a man who had been lying in a corner totally unseen by me sprang up and drawing his sword rushed upon me crying morbleu marot how dare you strike mother marinette it was a critical moment to do anything with the wild and lawless it needs to show one's self as fierce and fearless as themselves my sword was out in an instant and knowing that sometimes a display of daring courage with men like those amongst whom i was placed will touch the only feelings that remain in their seared and blackened hearts and do no more with them than any other earthly quality i cried out to my two retainers who were hurrying to separate us let him alone let him alone we are man to man i only ask fair play fair play give him fair play cried combalet and his companion to half a dozen ruffians that came rushing down the stairs at the noise give the count fair play it's a quarrel about a lady cried jacques Moncoeur. an affair of honour a duello let no one interrupt them in the meanwhile my antagonist lunged at me with vain fury he was not unskilled in the use of his weapon but his was what may be called bravo fencing very well calculated for street brawls where five or six persons are engaged together but not fit to be opposed to a really good swordsman calmly hand to hand his traverses were loose and he bore hard against my blade so that at last suddenly shifting my point i deceived him with a half time and not willing exactly to kill him brought him down with a severe wound in his shoulder quarter for goguenard quarter for goguenard cried the respectable spectators several of whom had during the combat served me essentially by withholding madame marinette the beldame 
whose caresses I had repulsed so unceremoniously, from exercising her talons upon my face. My sword was instantly sheathed, and my antagonist being raised, looked at me with a grim grin, but without any apparent malice. "'You've sliced my bacon,' cried he. "'But, ventre sangri, you are a tight hand, and I forgive you.' the wounded man was now carried off to have his wound puttied as he expressed it and i was then ushered upstairs into a large room wherein all the swashbucklers that the noise of clashing swords had brought out like a swarm of wasps when their nest is disturbed now hastened to take their seats round a large table that occupied the centre of the hall in place of the pens the inkhorns and the paper which graced the more dignified council boards of more modern nations that of the worthy huns was only covered in imitation of their ancestors with swords and pistols daggers and knives bottles glasses and flagons symbolical of the spirit in which their laws were conceived and the sharpness with which they were enforced at the head of the table when we entered were seated four or five of the sager members of the council who had not suffered their attention to be called from their deliberations like the rest and in a great armchair raised above the rest was placed a small old man with sharp grey eyes a keen pinched nose and a look of the most infallible cunning i ever beheld in mortal countenance he wore his hat buttoned with a large jewel and was very splendidly attired in black velvet so that from every circumstance of his appearance i was inclined to believe i beheld in him that very powerful and politic monarch called the king of the huns as combalet de carignan and jacques moncoeur were leading me forward in state to present me to the monarch he rose and stroking his short grey beard from the root to the point between his finger and thumb he demanded with an air of dignity what noise was that i heard but now and who dared to draw a sword within the precincts of our royal palace this question was answered by jacques moncoeur with the following delectable sentence may it please your majesty the case was that old marionette did the sweet upon the count here who buffed her a swagger that earthed her marrow-bones whereupon mutton-faced goguenard aired his pinking iron upon the count and would have made his chanter gape if the count had not sliced his bacon and brought him to kiss his mother this explanation however unintelligible to me at the time seemed perfectly satisfactory to the great potentate to whom it was addressed who nodding to me with a gracious inclination replied the count most justly punished an aggression upon the person of an ambassador let our secretary propose the oaths to the count our cup-bearer bring forward our solemn goblet and let the worthy nobleman take the oaths and be naturalized a true and faithful hun a meagre gentleman in a black suit now advanced towards me with a book in his hand and proposed to me to swear that i would be thenceforward a true and faithful subject to the mighty monarch francois saint maur king of the huns that i would act as a true and loyal hun in all things but especially in submitting myself to all the laws of the commonwealth and the ordinances of the king in council as well as in keeping inviolably secret all the proceedings of the huns their places of resort their private signs signals designs plans plots and communications with a great variety of other particulars 
all couched in fine technical language which took nearly a quarter of an hour in repeating greater part of this oath i took the liberty of rejecting giving so far in to their mockery of ceremony as to state my reasons to the monarch with an affectation of respect that seemed to please him not a little and though one or two of the ruffians thought fit to grumble at any concessions being made to me it was nevertheless arranged that the oath should be curtailed in my favour to a solemn vow of secrecy which i willingly took an immense wrought goblet of silver was now presented to me which i should have imagined to be a chalice filched from some church had it not been for various figures of bacchanals and satyrs richly embossed on the stalk and base i raised it to my lips drinking to the monarch of the huns who received my salutation standing but the very first mouthful showed me that it was filled with ardent spirits and returning it to the cup-bearer i begged that i might be accommodated with wine for that there was quite enough in the cup to incapacitate me for fulfilling the important mission with which i was charged a loud shout at my flinching from the cup was the first reply and one of the respectable cutthroats exclaimed from the other side of the table give some milk and water to the chicken-hearted demoiselle i had already had enough of brawling for the night and as no farther object was to be gained by noticing the ruffian's insult at the time i took the cup that was now presented to me filled with wine and drank health to the king of the huns without seeming to hear what had been said the most delicate part of my mission still remained to be fulfilled namely to explain to the chief of all the thieves swindlers and bravos in paris for such was the king of the huns the objects of the count de soissons without putting his name and reputation in the power of every ruffian in the capital and as i looked round the room which was now crowded with men of every attire and every carriage i found a thousand additional reasons in every villainous countenance for being as guarded and circumspect as possible how i should have acquitted myself heaven only knows but a great deal of trouble was taken off my hands by the king of the huns himself who after regarding me for a moment with his little grey eyes that seemed to enter into one's very heart and pry about in every secret corner thereof opened the business himself and left my father conduct comparatively easy count de lorme said he in a loud voice while all the rest kept silence you have sought an interview with us and you have gained it ordinary politicians would now use all their art to conceal what they know of your purpose and to make you unfold to them more perhaps than you wished but we with the frankness that characterizes a great nation are willing to show you that we are already aware of much more than you imagine you sent word to us that you came on a mission from a prince we will save you the trouble of naming him he is louis de bourbon count de soissons a murmur of surprise at the penetration of the king ran through the assembly but to me his means of information on this point were evident enough the archer had communicated to the bravos that though i received them in the rue Prêt saint paul i lodged myself at the hotel de soissons they had informed their chief of the same and by an easy chain of conclusions he had fallen upon the right person as my principal how he came by the rest of his information i do not know but he proceeded his highness the count de soissons is universally loved in the same proportion as the minister his enemy is hated 
and there is not one man amongst my subjects who does not bear the greatest affection to the one and the greatest abhorrence towards the other a loud shout of assent interrupted him for a moment but when it had subsided he went on the count is we are well informed preparing on all hands for open war with the cardinal and we also know that there is more than one agent working privately in this city for his service we are not amongst those who will be most backward or most inefficient in his cause and we only wish to know in the first instance what he expects of us not that i mean to say he added that we do not intend therein to have some eye to our own interests yet nevertheless the count will not find us hard or difficult to deal with as our enemies would have men believe in answer to this speech i went directly to the point finding that all diplomatizing on the subject was spared me i therefore told the king of the huns that he was perfectly right in the view he had taken of the case and that as the count was now driven to extremity by the cardinal it was natural that he should take every means to strengthen his own cause of course under the circumstances i added he would not think of neglecting so large and respectable a body as the huns and had therefore sent me to pray them in case of a rising in the city of paris on his part to support his friends with all their aid and influence and to embarrass his enemies by all those means which no men knew so well how to employ as themselves i farther added that if under the permission and sanction of their government any of his majesty's subjects would enroll themselves as men-at-arms to serve the count de soissons under my command the prospect of vast advantages was before them but that of course i should require those men who having some knowledge of military discipline and habits would not need the long and tedious drilling of young recruits such we have amongst our subjects in plenty replied the king of the huns we are as i need not inform you essentially a military nation and for our own credit the troops we furnish to our well-beloved cousin monsieur le comte shall be of the best quality a murmuring conversation now took place through the assembly each man expressing to his neighbour his opinion of what had just passed in a low voice that left nothing audible but the various curses and imprecations with which they seasoned their discourse and which seasoning certainly predominated over the matter this left me however an opportunity of gaining some private speech of the king with whom in a very short time i contrived to settle all preliminaries i paid my ten louis to the treasury and promised twenty more in case of his showing himself active and serviceable in the rising of the metropolis he on his part engaged to select and send to a certain point on the frontiers as many horsemen as he could rely upon who were to take service with me and to bind themselves by oath to obey my commands for one month for the first month all i could promise in regard to pay was twenty crowns per man but this seemed quite satisfactory and i believed the plunder to be expected whichever party gained the day was much more tempting in their eyes than the ostensible reward the rendezvous was named at the little village of marigny beyond mouzon just over the frontier and it was agreed that the king should send me from time to time a note of the numbers he dispatched and that on my arrival at marigny i should disburse to each man his pay in advance on his taking the stipulated oath and showing himself ready for action armed with sword pistol dagger morion 
back and breast-pieces and musketoon the number which his most hun-like majesty thought he could promise was about three hundred men and i very naturally supposed that i should have somewhat of a difficult command over men who had long submitted to no law but their own will i knew also that so trifling an incident as my having refused to pledge the king in his goblet of strong waters might do much harm to my future authority and therefore after having risen to go i ran my eye down the opposite side of the table and said in a loud voice some one about an hour ago called me a chicken-hearted demoiselle if he will stand out here in the free space i will give him the most convincing proof that my heart is as stout as his own and my hand not that of a girl a fellow with the form and countenance of an ox-slayer instantly started up but his companions thrust him down again several voices crying out no no down with him the count is no flincher look at goguenard the best man amongst us flawed like a sheep if any proof were wanting says jacques moncur stepping forward to establish the noble count's slashing qualities i could give it i am known to be a tough morsel for any man's grinders and yet once upon a day the count did for two of us single-handed he sent captain von crack out of the window sack of wheat fashion and left me with the flesh of my arm gaping like an empty flagon this matter being settled i drank a parting cup with his majesty to the prosperity of the huns which was of course received with a loud shout and conducted by combelet de carignan and his companion i left chateau escroc with my whole frame fevered and burning from the excitement i had undergone i have only farther to remark that according to the oath of secrecy which i had taken i should not now have placed even this interview on paper had not that respectable body with whom i passed the evening been discovered some years since and totally routed out of all their dens the fraternity of the huns will doubtless ever exist in paris but thanks to the exertions of our late energetic criminal lieutenant they are now like the jews a dispersed and wandering people each depending on his own resources and turning the public to his own particular profit End of chapter forty four